Today's reading will be from John 10 through the whole chapter. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, no, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock, one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there who were there, gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his, Jew his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why, did, why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that 
that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true, and in that place many believed Jesus. Uh, Friends, let's just bow in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, true and that it speaks uh, so clearly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit who uh, uh, takes your word and applies it to our minds and our hearts. And I pray that uh, as he does that today, that uh, our lives would be changed. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one thing which I especially love about driving from here in Port Macquarie to Walker, and it's not the hairpin curves on the Oxley Highway, I can assure you of that, but to, to get over to the other side of the range and to look down and see something which we just don't see very much here. Can you guess what that is? Sheep. Apparently, uh, here on the coast, sheep tend to get foot rot, so we don't have them. But to look out and to see a mob of sheep, well, uh, for me, that's just the classic picture of Australian rural life, and it's wonderful. And sheep are also the classic picture of life in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed in the Bible there are many stories about sheep and about shepherd? Uh, It was part of their life, part of their culture. Uh, Families would often own a a flock of sheep uh, in order for for food and for for wool and for for sacrifices. And and in days when they didn't have banks, then uh, livestock was a great way of storing your wealth. And they had shepherds. Uh, The shepherds had two key jobs. Uh, firstly it was their job to move the sheep to good pasture and uh, secondly to protect the sheep to protect sheep from wolves and from thieves now sometimes we have a a romantic view of uh, shepherds in the bible don't we i think we can blame christmas cards for that actually when actually it's a very lowly it was a very dangerous and it was a very uncomfortable job But it was part of life, which in John chapter 10, which you might want to have it open open in front of you, Jesus uses that picture of ordinary life in order to teach us some very important truths about himself, about his hearers, and indeed about us. Now, you might remember the scene from last week where Jesus had just healed a man who was born blind. And as we open up at John chapter 10, uh, Jesus is now challenging the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the men who had just thrown out this blind man because they didn't like what he was telling them about being once blind but now he can see. And they'd also rejected Jesus. In fact, it was because they rejected Jesus. And so Jesus now speaks about a sheep pen. Apparently at night 
um, sheep were often moved into a sheep pen uh, which had high walls, had a gate and had a gatekeeper and uh, the sheep pens were very helpful in terms of protecting from the weather and protecting against wolves and against thieves. And so in verses 1 to 6, Jesus talks about two men entering the sheep pen. Uh, Have a look at verses 1 and 2. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So here's two different men, a shepherd and a thief. And in verses 3 to 6, the sheep actually know who is who. They know which one is which. Now in Australia, when we want to uh, uh, get the sheep moving, uh, what do we do? We send in the dogs to snap at their feet, don't we? But in the Middle East, with a smaller flock, a shepherd would actually know each of his sheep individually. And guess what? They would know him as well. They would actually know his voice and they would follow him when they heard his voice. Apparently that remains true today in the Middle East. And it's helpful very helpful because sometimes in one sheep pen numerous shepherds would use the same sheep pen and the sheep in the pen would all be mixed up and so but the shepherd would only have to call his his sheep his particular sheep and they would come to him because they would follow the one whose voice they knew Friends, in the Bible, God says that his people, Israel, are like sheep. They're his sheep. And the religious leaders, they were to be the shepherds. They were to be the ones who would be spiritually feeding uh, God's sheep, who would be protecting God's sheep. And so here, in John's Gospel, we have a sheep, a blind man who has just been healed. And the Pharisees, well, they would love it if he would follow them. But who does he follow? When he was blind, he heard the voice of Jesus and followed him. And so what Jesus is saying here about the Pharisees is this. He's telling the Pharisees that they are actually the ones whose voice he doesn't recognise, that they are the ones who are the thieves, they are the ones who are the robbers, they are the ones who have climbed over the fence to get into the pen. But in verse 6, the Pharisees just don't get what he's saying. They don't understand the parable. And so Jesus spells it out. Uh, In verses 7 through to 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. And the sheep, they go in and they go out through the gate. Uh, They go into the gate for protection. They go out from the gate in order to be fed. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, he's not talking about grass, is he? 
Jesus is saying is that if we pass through him, then we can have eternal life. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How is it that Jesus is the gateway to life? Well, in verses 11 through to 18, he he now contrasts two very different kinds of shepherds. The good shepherd and the hired hand. Now, uh, in the Bible, some shepherds, like, for example, David, the young David, before he became king, uh, David was committed to defending the family flock. And this was often the case, that the shepherd would actually be a member of the family who would be absolutely committed to the flock. But if a shepherd is on a wage, well, you know, wolves are pretty savage. And when the wolf attacks, well, he's not going to risk his life, is he? Verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he turns away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But the shepherd who owns the sheep, he will defend them. And that's how David got his slingshot skills. In verses 11 to 18, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And five times he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. But more than that, take a look at verse 17. He says, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, the religious leaders, they want to kill Jesus, but here he makes it clear that he will die, but when he dies, he'll die by his own will and he will take up his life again why why would he die why would he give up his own life well it's in order that the sheep may have life and now at this point the crowd is divided in verse 19 some some people say look this guy he's stark raving mad he's a lunatic he's He's talking about killing himself and coming back to life again. He must be demon-possessed. But then on the other hand, there's others who are saying, oh, hang on a moment, he just healed a man who was blind. And so what started off as a story about some woolly sheep has now divided the Jews. Who is this man? Now, Jewish people, even today celebrate a uh, festival which they call Hanukkah. Have you heard of Hanukkah? Uh, It's a uh, festival that takes place around about the same time as Christmas. Uh, In verse 22, 
Uh, it's called the Feast of Dedication. Now, it's not in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's a festival which began during what's described as the intertestamental period, the period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. In 165 BC, the Syrians invaded um, Jerusalem and they desecrated the temple. Uh, Eventually, they were driven out by an uprising. And when they were driven out, the temple of God in Jerusalem was rededicated. Uh, it um, It was again set apart Uh, for its purpose and that's what Hanukkah is all about now here in John chapter 10 a few months had elapsed since the healing of the blind man and Jesus was back in Jerusalem he was at the temple and he was the center of attention And here we see that the Jews asked him about his identity. Have a look at verse 24. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. Well, uh, Jesus is saying there's been no messaging problem here. Um, What has Jesus been saying about himself in the last few chapters of John's Gospel? Well, in chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. In chapter 7, he said, I am the water of life. In chapter 8, he said, I am the light of life. He even said, before Abraham was, I am, uh, referring to God. And here, still, they want him to spell it out. And so Jesus says, well, what about the miracles? You see, in the Old Testament prophets, when they spoke about the coming of Christ, the sign that the Christ had arrived would be miracles. Miracles which would be a foretaste of the reversal of the effects of sin. Uh, miracles whereby the, um, the deaf would hear, whereby the, the lame would walk, whereby, well, a man who is born blind will be able to see. And this man who Jesus has healed, he is, he is a sign as to who Jesus is. He's more than just any ordinary sign. He is a, a walking billboard. He is like a neon flashing sign saying who Jesus is that Messiah, that the Christ has arrived in the person of the man who healed him. Problem is, they just don't want to believe. In verse 31, the situation turns nasty and they want to stone Jesus to death. And so Jesus asks them, well, for which of the miracles of God that I've performed do you want to stone me? Which one is it? I say, well, it's not because of any of the miracles that you've performed. 
They don't deny that he's performed the miracles. It says it's not because of the miracles that you performed that we want to stone you to death. No, we want to stone you to death because in verse 33, for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, one moment they're saying, well, you haven't been clear enough. The next moment they're saying, you're rather too clear. Uh, What's changed? Well, it's all about sheep. If you go back to verse 26, where Jesus says to them, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And get this, he says, I and the Father are one. How about that? Is that clear enough? You know, from time to time, um, I have Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on my door. I guess because I don't live right next to the church, they don't suspect that I could be a minister. And we have some interesting conversations. Uh, Does that happen to you? Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door from time to time? They falsely teach that Jesus is not God. Uh, They teach that he is, um, he's a created being, that he's, a little more than just your average angel, but he's not God. He's a created being. And so what would they make of this verse? I and the Father are one. Or verse 38, where Jesus says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. My guess is that they would say that he's claiming... Um, that he's not claiming to be God, that he's only claiming to think like God, that he's only claiming to be of one mind as God, that he's claiming to have the same kind of thoughts as God. But that would not be blasphemy. The Jews would not stone him for that. That's not how the Jews understood what he was saying. Because we shouldn't we all want to have the same mind of, of God? Shouldn't we all be wanting to think the way that God thinks? Shouldn't we all want to have godly thoughts that they would be lived out in our actions? No, the Jews wanted to stone Jesus because they said that Jesus, a mere man, claimed to be God. So how did Jesus respond? Take a look at verse 34. He answered... Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he said you are gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? That's a rather strange answer to our ears, isn't it? I mean, what what is Jesus saying there? Well, he's actually referring to Psalm 82. And in the um, Jewish thought, the Psalms were considered to be, or the whole of the Old Testament was called the law. It's from Psalm 82 where God refers to the corrupt, 
judges of Israel as gods, lowercase g, gods. And he refers to them as being sons of the Most High God. The reason why God refers to the rulers of Israel, the judges of Israel, as being gods is because of their position. They are rulers. They are lords in that sense. The Bible calls them gods. And it's not blasphemous. Now, Jesus is not saying here, well, look, I'm just like one of them. If you didn't have a problem with them being called gods, you shouldn't have a problem with me being called calling myself a god as well because I'm just like them. No, he's not saying that. Rather, he's saying if that is the case, then how much more is it not blasphemy to be called God when that word is being applied to himself, to Jesus? See, there's a certain irony here. There's an irony in what they are actually celebrating when this conversation takes place. The feast of dedication, the setting apart of the temple where God symbolically dwelt. That's what they're celebrating. That's what they're feasting over. That's what they're enjoying. That's what they're rejoicing. And yet, the one who is in fact the very presence of God, the one who has been set apart by the Father and sent into this world is one standing before them whom they want to kill. A mere man, they said, making himself to be God when in fact Jesus is God having come as a mere man. Not as a thief, not as a hired hand, like the Pharisees, but as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. For by his death on the cross, he has paid for all of our sins, that we may be forgiven, that we may have eternal life. I have come, says Jesus in verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have life to its fullest. To be the people that God created us to be, to be people who are reconciled to him, to be people who live in right relationship with our creator and, and live by his will now and forever. That's life. That's life in the full. That's life as it was always intended to be and that is our future if we put our trust in the one who laid down his life for us, the good shepherd. Now, what about you? Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Do you follow him as you should? Of course, as the good shepherd, Jesus is also a good model. And he is the model for all shepherds of God's people. Uh, The word pastor is an interesting word, isn't it? Because um, it's the Latin word for for shepherd. That's what it is. That's why sheep graze in in pastures um, and and so on. 
Uh, it is, the word pastor means shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, leaders of God's churches, pastors and elders, are not to be like thieves who climb the fence, who are greedy and who are self-interested, exploiting the flock. They're not to be like the hired hand, the one who enjoys the benefits of ministry and enjoys the status and the regular income and the comforts whilst being unprepared to do the hard and the rigorous work of feeding God's sheep by teaching the word and who are unprepared to stand firm for the gospel when the walls are encircling and when to stand firm is costly. Religious leaders, in verse 39, well, that was them. That was what they were like. And they tried to seize Jesus. But it wasn't time yet for him to die, and so John tells us that he escaped their grasp. He escaped from them. And what did he do? Well, he went and found some sheep. In verses 40 to 42, he uh, went across the Jordan River to where John the Baptist had previously been baptising. And many people heard his voice. Many people followed. Uh, John, the Gospel writers, said that uh, these people said that uh, John the Baptist had never performed any miraculous sign, but everything he said about this man was true. Many people put their faith in Jesus. They heard his voice and they followed. You know, when I do drive west of Port Macquarie, around the hairpin curves, and get to the top of the range and look down over the Yarrowitch Valley, I love that sight. Because what, what do I see? I see sheep grazing, mobs of sheep, as we call them in Australia. And when I see that, my world just feels so much better. My world just, it just seems like the world is just right again. It feels so comfortable, so secure, so enjoyable. Perhaps because of the wonderful years that we spent ministering the gospel, pastoring people, uh, including sheep farmers, uh, over in that part of the world. How much better, friends? How much more comforting, how much more secure it is to know that the one we follow is the good shepherd who will never let us go because he laid down his life for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he uh, was not self-interested, but rather that he uh, was sacrificial that he gave up his very life so that we, his sheep, might live. We pray, Father God, that we would continue to feed on his word. We pray that we would continue to uh, uh, be protected from uh, those wolves that would uh, seek to turn us away from Jesus. We thank you that he will never let us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.